We had a patient that wanted to eat her placenta right after delivery and started munching on it. She ate it raw? Yeah. We will respect all birth plans if we can. We just need everybody to realize like, it's like life. It doesn't always go the way you want to plan to go. Welcome back to another episode of the Badass Motherfucker Podcast. Today, we get to talk to Kat Reynolds, a labor and delivery nurse out of Tucson, Arizona, who was nominated by her coworkers because she has an incredible ability to connect with her patients. So much so that returning patients and new patients will come in and ask for her by name. We also talk about the highs and lows of being a labor and delivery nurse and why having a strict birth plan isn't always the best idea. I've heard a lot of patients who come in, they have like very specific birth plans, mm. you know, stuff that they've researched. We love researched. The birth plans. You love the birth plans? <laughs> we love birth plans because so like, it's like anything in life. If you plan on something going a certain way, it's probably going to go the other way. That's life. Like life is what happens when you're planning. So we respect them. I always will abide by it to the best that I can within, you know, reasonable measures. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the crazy, crazy things that people have asked, like no lights in one of the ones. And I'm like, yeah, no, we, we got to be able to see. And then, um, I'm sorry, this, you know, some want of the no lights, no lights. That was one of the birth plans, like no lights on in the room. And I'm like, there's a whole staff in here in case things go awry. Like, we we need lights. We got to be able to see each other even. So um, we had a patient that wanted to eat her placenta right after delivery. And so she did. She got it cut off while she were in the room and started munching on it. And then there she was. She ate it raw? Baby. Yeah. Yeah. And all the staff what? just kind of looked she... at each other. No, I'm serious. We all just kind of looked at each other like, okay, but we respect it. We will respect all of our plans if we can. We just need everybody to realize like, it's like life. It doesn't always go the way you want to plan to go. And we're always going to have the care plan of taking the best care of you and baby. But sometimes that may not coordinate with some of these, these other plans that we have. So I just educate them if I can't, if I can't do something, then I try to talk to them and, um, you know, sometimes when the patients are there for a prolonged time and they're not progressing, then, you know, I call on the doc and we like sit down and talk to them like, you know, you've been ruptured for this long and I know you don't want Pitocin, but these are the risks that we incur the longer that you're ruptured and we don't deliver. So we need to discuss other options, you know, and then the doc will put in, you know, their part of why it's important and answer any questions as well. But we try to work as much as we can, just not with the crazy things like no lights. And let's see, I think one of the girls wanted um, like really weird music during it. And the, I think the doc at one point was like, honey, I can't, I can't focus. You're going to have to turn that off. And it was not like the normal relaxing music. Um, yeah, it was like heavy metal. I can't remember. I feel like it was either rap or it was Irish, but it was, it was very distracting uh what it was it was i think it was irish but it was very like loud and then it would kind of go quiet and then it'd go loud again and you were just like okay what's going on like okay oh, we, we're gonna turn that down yeah but the doc asked her too and i was like okay the doc Perfect. asked her too yeah the, uh um 
that that's just really quickly the, the placenta thing is that is there no like health risks of eating a raw placenta that just came out of your uterus you know i've never actually looked that up so i don't know the doc let her have it the doc cut it off and gave it to her it's from her body yeah um i'm not really sure i'd have to look that up honestly i think we were all just like surprised that she wanted it like right then and just ate it right then so this was this was your patient or someone you helped with it was someone i helped yeah so and I did was you lucky did enough. you know yeah, did you know from the beginning that's what she wanted to do, or did it was it a surprise when after the baby was delivered? I think that it was mentioned that she wanted the placenta, and everybody was aware of that. I don't think that it was mentioned that she was going to want a piece freshly cut to eat right then, because nobody was prepared for that. So I'm going to say that she did not inform the staff of that. She informed them she wanted to keep it, which is not uncommon. People will make it into pill form some people bury it you know whatever um so that's why a lot of people want to encapsulate placentas or cook them is that the hormones that are in it are supposed to help to ward off depression that's one of the benefits that they yeah that's why people will do that is that the hormones are expected to help with depression um it just depends on what studies you read so it's kind of like Everything in medicine, it depends on where you're getting your source from. Right. So, but that yeah. was, but that was, she the believed wanted, it would really help her. And, but that was the one and only time you've seen a patient eat a piece of their vagina. I mean, eat a piece of their placenta. <laughs> yes. That's a, that was the only, I've only seen one time that I've had a patient eat fresh placenta, but I, we have many patients that will take it, encapsulate it, or cook it and make it into something. So gotcha. it's not that interesting. Uncommon. Just the fresh, gotcha. the fresh placenta. That one's uncommon. That's rare. Yeah. Okay. Wow. No, I did not know that. That <laughs> is very interesting. How long has been like the longest you've had to have a patient push for? Oh, um, I think the longest with active pushing and laboring down that I've ever had was five hours and she was just getting tired. So we would like let her rest for a little bit and then push for a little bit and then rest. And we had a vaginal delivery, so it was totally worth it, but it was a very long day for her. And, you know, as the nurse, you're in the back of your mind, always just like worried and stressed, like, okay, are we going to have to go to a C-section? Will she not be able to get this baby out? You know? And you're running through that for that whole five hours, worried and preparing. You know, there's a lot to be done to prepare if we have to go for the section. So you're running through that the whole time. Like, are we, aren't we? How are we doing? Are we going to be able to get the baby out? Is she going to get too tired? And so five, I think five is the most. And then um, without resting, straight active pushing, I think three and a half is the most. But I mean, I had to push three hours alone for my daughter. So, like, my personal goal for my patients is to not have to push. Like, if their baby will tolerate it, I will try to labor them down while they relax as much as I can so they have less of that pushing. Because that it's awful. Like, it's not fun. It's not like what they show in the movies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, some of the moms know. Some of the moms are like, whoa, okay, let me get your doc. Just breathe. Just breathe, you know? And sometimes your doc doesn't quite make it in the room. I'd 
even had like a doc come in the room and they were at the foot of the bed and the charge nurse was there and it was an unmedicated um, labor. So you would expect you would hear something. And I had went from one side of the bed to the other to try to get the dad to go back on the other side so the staff can be on the patient's right side. And um, I looked down and there's a baby coming out. And I'm like, baby, 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 to the doc, because the doc's right there, you know? And they couldn't even, they couldn't even make it from the end of the bed to where I was standing in time. And the coolest thing, though I would not advise this to anyone, but it'll forever be in my heart. That patient sent me, they took a picture. We usually don't allow pictures during, until the baby's out for like legality. And so everybody's focused on the labor and there's, you know, not accidents. But she actually sent me a picture of me catching the baby. And once again, yeah, the, the doc previous was right. You do this every day, but you don't see yourself do it. You know what you do, but you don't see yourself do it. It was the coolest thing to see that side of it. And it just had happened so fast. It was like, baby. So the doc laughed. I was like, thanks. You know, and then they're there for the placenta and everything going back to normal, which is the important part. But yeah, every now and yeah. then you have to catch a baby. They just decide they're not going to wait. And they just hop out and you catch it. Because that's what something I imagine only happens in movies. Because there's so, there's so many scenes where like a baby comes flying out of the mom, umbilical cord and all, and you have to catch him like a football. But I guess that happens in real it, life. It does sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I still haven't had a baby in a bag yet. Like I got really close just recently and I was like, yes, yes, don't rupture. Don't rupture. Like let that baby come out in the bag. It, it ruptured. That's not dangerous for the baby to come out in the bag. Mm -mm. Like that? No. no, but it just, it doesn't really, doesn't really happen. I, I yeah. haven't had it. I've seen like online where they're in the bag, you know, and then it would immediately rupture pretty much once the baby came out, but it'd be cool. Just because I've seen it online, I, but I haven't I got think, to see it in person. I think I've seen that picture too. There's like one, I think there's one picture where yeah. the baby's completely inside the bag still and the doctors are like He's, holding it. I, I think I'm pretty sure I've seen that picture. It's really funny because when they're that close to delivering, the bag will like, we call it balloon out. The bag starts to come out of the body and then it goes back in when they're not contracting. It's really neat. Like I, I asked the patient, I was like, do you want me to take a picture so you can see it? actually not that often that we get to see this and it's really cool and she's like yeah 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 and the dad was just kind of like like he was not really loving it but i took the picture and then handed her her phone back and she's like that's really cool because she can't see it i had this conversation with one of my uh one of my audience members at a comedy show and uh i guess i guess it was like it was like a joke i'm like oh i thought the doctors delivered the babies and then all, all all the nurses kind of just went like, they just started laughing. I'm like, is that not true? Are the doctors <laughs> out there helping to deliver the baby or do they only show up at the end? What's um, happening? So if you're doing very good nursing, you get the baby almost ready to come out. The doc comes over, catches the baby. And you got to think they've got a whole office full of patients waiting to be seen. So sometimes I don't have a choice. If the the baby strip isn't looking good. They're not tolerating the pushing very well. Then I'm going to need the doc like as soon as we start. But otherwise, if my babies look good, we're going to get like almost ready for that baby to be born. Get the doc over, have them deliver, take care of the placenta, make sure everything's going back nicely, and then get back to the office. You know, that's what I'm there to do. I see. So ideally, you like the, the patient will come in, the doctor will say hi, they'll go to their office, you're taking care of 
the patient up until the baby's right about to be born. If if this is ideal, right, right about to be born. Right. You call yeah. the doctor in. He comes in, gets the baby out, deliver, gets the placenta out, makes sure the mom's okay, and leaves again. And that's the whole right. process. And I mean, obviously, if there's any issues, we call them. They're at the bedside, and we have a doc on the floor at all times too. But you know, for the most part, most of it should be done by the nurse. You know, helping them through it, dealing with anything, and um, educating them when we need stuff or to change stuff or why we have to call the doc and just keeping them informed. But the majority of it should be done at your bedside nurse. And then your doc comes in and does those cool things. And then once in a blue moon, they have to come in. They're like, oh, well, thanks, you know. And then I get to do the extra paperwork if that happens. So I was like, okay, mama, just breathe. The doc will be here in a second. But yeah, I've seen some of the babies shoot out to the docs, like, like pushing and the docs just like barely caught them, you know, when they're pushing and they come out. I've seen a couple of them and we're just like, because they're slippery when they come out. Luckily, they've never, you know, they've never, knock on wood, they've never fallen, but they're slippery. So when they come, the docs are like, you have to catch them really quick. Yeah. Is that like, you know how like uh, in the circus, when people are swinging from those swings high up there's a net at the bottom to catch them in case they fall is there no net at the bottom of mom just in case the baby falls out so it's definitely not a technical term or a medical term but i call it the poop shoot because all like the amniotic fluid all the blood you know memories anything that comes out it goes in there and if mom poops then it goes in there too and i tell the moms don't worry about that because it's behind the baby's head and it's just going to fall in there you'll never know the difference don't worry about that. We're here to see a baby. We're not worried about poop. Just just do your thing. So if that was to happen, there's always that little shoot that would, you know, catch. They would not they would not go very far. Okay, so there's something just in case. It's just Yes, it's just, just in full case. Of, oh yeah. It's just full of fluids yeah. and poop. Not always. Uh, it's usually after the baby comes out that it gets like that. Okay, good. Um, but you what's interesting is that uh so so for like in the ER, I don't know if the same thing for your patients, but in the ER, like some of our patients would get a little antsy if they're not seeing the doctor enough. Oh, yes. You know, so I don't know if like, yes. because the way you described it, the doctor's only there for maybe, you know, two moments during the birth. So do you ever get patients who are like, hey, like, am I ever going to be seen by the doctor or is, is the yeah, doctor coming? I remind them that they saw him in the morning. And if I get the vibe in the morning that that patient's a little bit more antsy, before the doc leaves, I will say, you know, okay, she's got to head back to the office. I call if I need anything. Do you have any questions for her? Because if all goes well, you won't see her again until delivery. And so I try to get that opportunity if I think it'll be like that. But there's been times I call a doc and I'm like, hey, this patient wants to talk to you, wants to see you, has questions about this. You know, I've educated them, but I need you over. And then we get them over there. But yeah, there's some patients that are like, so wait. I'm just with you all day. And I'm like, yeah, you get me. It's just me and yeah. him. We got this. We're a team. So Yeah. Which is such a, which is it, kind of a different dynamic than where I work because the nurses in the ER kind of want the doctor there more, right. more than what you would want. But you're happy with just yeah. that scenario. In an idealistic day. Then you have the days that you're like, I know I just called you. You're going to have to come on over. Like this baby is just doing, you know, from not tolerating to just doing funny stuff. You know, even sometimes I just get like a really super hyperactive baby 
but yeah. I can't guarantee so like, that yeah. there's not something going on. And yes. like, I know that they look great, but I need you to come look at this. So, yeah, it's definitely different than the ED because, like, when we had triage patients, we're more like the ED, like, okay, come see them. Like, this is at labor. Come see what's going on. You know, what do you think? But for labor, it, you know, it mm-hmm. has its little labor curve and you kind of follow the things and you follow your orders. And then it can be a little bit, a little bit more autonomy than you would in the, the ED for sure. And because it's yeah. that one process, when it's idealistic. Gotcha. Yeah. So for the most part, just doctors come, hopefully, hopefully knock on wood, no complications, but you know, they're there if you need them. Yes. And I've heard, and I've heard, you know, there's some complications that I've heard of like high blood pressure, diabetes, is there other, any other complications that may come up, you know, during birth that like we, like myself, wouldn't necessarily know about? Yeah, like some patients have like clotting factors or if someone has like really, they're very anemic, you know, thrombocytopenia, those are all going to be very um, high risk for delivery because when the placenta detaches, if they're not going to contract down and clamp down, then we're looking at, you know, possibly hemorrhage. So those kind of things play into that. And then just longer labors or bigger babies, shoulder dystocias, um, those kind of things. And then always the risk. Every every day, every patient, there's a risk. Even if you've had babies, if you haven't, no risk factors, we could still end up having to go back for a stat C-section if babies mm-hmm. don't tolerate, you know? And then sometimes you get back there and you're like, oh, the cord was around the neck three times or... They got a true knot. Basically, they tied their cord in utero. And so the blood flow is not going through. And then other <laughs> times you get the baby out and you're like, what's the deal? Dude, like, there's nothing wrong with you. And so, but at the end of it, the whole idea is a happy, healthy baby and mom. So if they're not tolerating the labor, then we're going to end up in a C-section. Yeah. We can't risk it, you know? And then they get out and I'm like, I like you, little kid, but kind of mad at you right now like what you did to your mommy and the moms are like yeah like you know and it lets them kind of vent their stress from it too you know like yeah like you made me this or you made me that and it's an offset way for them to be able to express that stress but yeah like same thing we'll ask the patients like do you want to get a picture not of the the triple nuple but if like they get the little knot do you want a picture of it because it's it's very rare too you know it's more common than you think it is but it's not and often occurrence, luckily. Uh, the other thing I wanted to talk about, because uh, I, I did a series about the labor delivery room, and uh, I got a lot of responses on how the patient's partner should behave oh, yeah. in the room. Boom. Um, uh, a, a, lot of, uh, a lot of varying answers, a lot of angry patients with their partners. So <laughs> I kind of wanted to get your advice, L&D nurse extraordinaire. Uh, what is... What is, what is what is the best way a partner could support, um, you know, someone could support their partner during labor? Follow her lead. She knows her body and what she wants more than anyone. You know, when I first became a nurse, if patients were hurting, I'd want to like massage them. Like I felt so bad for them, especially if they were wanting to go natural. But some people, when they're hurting, they don't want to be touched. You know, I had one of the patients for like an hour. I was like, you know, massaging her lower back and doing the hip presses. And then her significant other came in and within like a minute, she was like, so did you mean? I was just like, oh, she probably has wanted to tell me that for an hour, but was too nice to me oh. because 
I work there, patients are ni- usually nicer to us than their loved ones, especially the dad. Because yeah. let's be honest, you both got to have fun and only one of you has to pay. So the dads usually get the brunt of it. So, you know, some patients want to be touched and massaged. Other patients want to be just left alone. Some want to be distracted. Some are like, I can't think, stop talking. So follow her lead. If she wants you to do stuff, do it. If she is hurting, massage her, you know? The reason that she's in love with you is why you're here. So the more that you can calm her, the better her experience is going to be. So that's their role. I always joke, like, you guys are the medicine I can't give. The the patients at the SO, like significant others there, then they have a better labor. They're calmer. They have less pain, honestly. They just tolerate better than the patients that they don't have their significant partner with them. They're more stressed. They're more anxious. Their blood pressures are higher. Their pain is worse. So however it may be if it's you just being there and answering the phone if it's you just listening to her or massaging her feet that's your role like that's you don't get to do the delivery or the labor you can just follow her guidance and do whatever makes her feel better because it's not an easy day yeah be present is like ultimately Yeah. yeah and i always make my patients um families eat because and let me knock on wood now. I haven't had anybody pass out. I have this this theory that they pass out because they haven't eaten. They're so excited and stressed. And so they don't eat. Then we deliver and all that adrenaline comes surging and down they go. And knock on wood again. I haven't had anybody do that. But I'll go like in other labor rooms and you see the the dad or the grandma like going white. And I'm always like, have you eaten? No. I'm like, okay, let's sit down. Get them a juice, and then they feel a little better. And I'm like, okay, let's just scoot your chair over to the bed now. But yeah, sleeping through the whole delivery, uh, passing out or complaining, you will never hear the end of that for like the next 18 years because she has worked her butt off all day while you slept or while you complained um, or if you passed out. Then that becomes the ultimate story. Like, yeah, here I am having a kid. He passed out. And so, yeah. Yeah. Is, is he allowed to sleep while, while she's sleeping? Is that okay? Yeah. Yeah. I highly recommend it. That way you're both like geared okay. up and ready to take care of the baby when the baby comes, you know? And like a nap here right. and there is okay. But the dads that, that sleep like the whole time, the mamas talk about it. They're going to tell the whole family. You just be ready. They're going to tell everybody about that. All right. Good. Good advice for partners. You guys hear that? No sleeping unless mom's sleeping too. Make sure mm-hmm. you don't pass out. And uh, yeah. be present Bye and supportive. Eating. The next thing I wanted to talk about it's it's you know, it's a, it's a it's a it's a tough subject, but stillbirths, right? Um, yeah. I know they 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 have to happen. Um, but for the, for for our listeners, can you explain uh, really quickly in your words what a stillbirth is for them? Just educate. So below twenty weeks, it's uh, we usually consider it a miscarriage. Um. And above, it's an intrauterine fetal death or an IUFD. And so different ways, a lot of times, like the patient goes into the doctor office or they come to our triage because they don't feel the baby moving or they're just at a regular OB visit and then we can't find hard tones. So it's always really um, stressful when you're in triage and you can't find hard tones. 
used to, I would really, really try my hardest, but you know, you have a couple of those that come in and you're really quick that if you don't find it pretty fast, then you're like, doc, I need, I need an ultrasound. And so they come in ultrasound and they can ultimately find if we're just having a difficult time finding or if there's no longer a present heartbeat. And it is more common than you think. Like, it, I don't know the rates, but um, we started doing like an OBED for a short period of time and we were seeing all those moms. I did not realize how many miscarriages um, happen. And you guys in the EBE tend to get them usually. I didn't realize how many they were until we pulled all of them to us. And so they were pregnant no matter the gestation, we got them all. And it is a, it's a huge amount of miscarriage, but the, this IUFDs, a lot of times we have to induce those to deliver. And that is a really hard thing because this mom has already like lost their baby and now they have to go labor to have this baby. Uh-huh. And it is very traumatic for them. And every patient's different. You know, I, when I train, I tell them, like my trainees, like, you're going to cry. Just, just be ready to cry. Sit at, cause we have them in the back of the floor and um, so that they don't hopefully hear all the babies crying in the front where we have to deliver. Cause we still only have one floor. We have to have all the patients on the same floor. And so there's a nurse's station back there. And I tell my trainees, like, just, Try to do your charting and everything back there. And it never fails on the days that I have those when I come to the front desk. Even though we all know each other's assignments, when I come to the front desk, everyone's always like, what's wrong? And I'm like, you know, I have eight, like the room number, you know. We try to do them in the back, so it's always the same numbers. And, um, you know, you just, you can't be your normal self because your heart breaks for these patients. Like, it is so devastating to them and I just try to be there as much as they want me to be or give them space that they want but I always try to impress upon each one of those families like there's no right or wrong way like however you grieve is how you grieve and that's okay you may want to talk about it and he may not so there's support groups for that so you can go talk and he can continue to heal the way that he's healing because neither way is wrong but if you attack each other then you're just going to hurt each other more. So be kind and just understand you're both hurting and you're hurting together, though you may do it differently. And just be understanding and love each other. And if you can't say anything to each other, that's fine. Just go hug. And then and then walk away. You know, you don't have to say anything else. It was no one's fault. Have, have you had moments where, uh, where they do argue with each other and try to put blame uh-huh. on each other? Yeah. Yeah, I have. And so then you just re you reiterate to them, you know, that's no one's fault. There's nothing that you could have done differently, you know? Um, and then we got the doctor involved and explained to the dad, you know, this is, there's nothing that shows that that could be caused by anything. You know, there's nothing showing wrong. It's just for whatever reason, was not successful and there's nothing either of you could have done to change it but the last thing you want to do is blame her right now and i think she'd want like on a vacation or something and we're like altitude is not going to do that you know but that Uh, is one of the number one things we always play blame in a trauma and so so you see you you see more sorry so you see more often um 
the dad or yeah, the dad will, you know, will think the mom did something to possibly cause. This I've to really only seen it once. Unfortunately, in the majority of the uh-huh. time, our mamas blame themselves all the time. Like almost every mama blames herself or will be like, is it because I did this? Is it because I did that? You know, and I'm like, no, no, there's nothing that you did. You know, it's just, you know, and I get the docs to reiterate it. So they hear it from different care providers. Kind of the same thing. This is not your fault. You couldn't have prevented it. It just did not take and it didn't hold, you know, maybe it wasn't going to be successful or there was something wrong that we're not aware of. But it doesn't impede your opportunity or mean that the next time will be like that. And so it's a, it's a rough time for them. The moms always try to blame themselves. And so I do a lot of like support and reiterating to the moms like this is nothing to do with you or in the future or anything that you did. It's just this one didn't take, you know. And so you just yeah. you support them in any way you can, you know. Yeah, because it, it must. I mean, it must be so hard, you know, not not being able to to know like exactly what happened, you know, hoping you did everything right. But it's it's right. so great to hear this from. It's so great to hear this from you, though, that you know it's a lot more common than people think. It is right. We all don't really want. Who wants to talk about that? Like that hurts uh-huh. and that's sad. Those are precious babies. Who wants to talk about that? But it's more common than we think, you know, and. I love that we can allow the time for the family to spend time uh, if they want or not if they don't. But we send them home with like a keepsake box regardless, because even if they're not emotionally ready right now, this is a trauma that will forever be with them. So they may change their their mind down the road. And so I will make moms take the box and say, you know, if you put it in a back corner and never touch it, that's okay. So, so be it, you were right. And you come back and you tell me that. But in case you change your mind later, I want you to have something, you know, to come back to. So we do try to give them a little something from it, little handprints and pictures if possible um, to go home for them later because it's part of the healing process. They need that. Yeah. And, and you know, you said that you teach, you teach some of these new nurses through your precepting that, hey, like, you're going to cry, right? Yeah. Um, but, you know, for you specifically, like you, you and, you know, everyone you work with, L&D nurses, you guys are, you guys are there for an incredible moment in these, these moms' lives, you know, whether, whether the yeah. outcome is good or bad. And uh, I just, it just feels like it would take a toll on you eventually. Like, and, and has it for you or and have you, have you been dealing with it over the years? Because you've been an L&D nurse for how long now? Nine years. Nine years. Yeah, so I mean, you know, you've had your yeah. fair share of all of these experiences. So, yeah, you know, how yeah. do you deal with it? I think all nursing takes it from you. There's not any nursing you can do that it really doesn't take it from you because we all went into nursing for the compassion and care. And there's wins and there's there's losses either way. You know, some of the most stressful days I have are still great days and I got a great win out of it. But man, I'm telling you, I have 15 great hairs to show for that day. Cause like I was saying earlier, those moms that you're like, can she push them out? Can't they? Or you have this great baby and all of a sudden they don't tolerate it and you run back for a stat section. It freaks out your mom. You know, they're just, 
they're kind of traumatized by that experience too. And it, it does, um, it leaves a little part on you every time, but it's also, I remind my trainees, like, these are the days that you have to remind yourself that you might've been the difference. What if you hadn't been here? What if you weren't doing that diligent care that you were doing? Would we have gotten back to the OR so fast? Would we have gotten the baby out so quick? You know, would we have been able to keep mom so calm? And you just have to keep that perspective. Like, why am I doing what am I doing? Sorry, why am I doing what I'm doing? And what did I decide to do this for? For the patient, you know? Good or bad. It's like your kids, they stress you out, but you love them. You wouldn't have it any other way. The same with nursing. It stresses you out, but you love it. You're here to help the people. And even if they don't realize the all the things that you do and all the stress, you wouldn't have it any other way. You would still continue to do that. But make no mistake, I try to do vacations. I like to spend time with other nurses and just like decompress. You know, if we have a really bad day, sometimes I'm like, hey, do you guys want to go over and just grab an appetizer? Just so you can kind of de-stress before you walk in the house and your family, the kids, the dog are all at you and you're still like mm, from the day. And I don't think I did that in the beginning of my career. And that is like a really important thing to take that 30 minutes for yourself, process and release as much as you can before you come in and then deal with your own family's stresses. You know, that's it's rough. So and then just focusing on the positive. Yeah. Um, no, I, I, t- I totally agree with you on taking the time to just, you know, process it before you go and before you go home and interact with the ones that you love in your home. Because if you don't, you know, if you don't process it, you know, think about it, it could rear its ugly head and you could potentially lash out on someone who you didn't mean to, right? You I do. Mean, I know, I know yeah. personally, personally working in the ER, like, you know, death happens. But in the ER, when when patients are at the at this at the stage in their life where you think, okay, well, you know, they've they've had a good life. You know, this yeah. is it's it looks like it's your time to go, and everybody kind of understands that. But it's always so much harder when it's when it's a kid or a mm-hmm. baby with yeah. so much potential, and yeah, it, it it hits me different, very differently. Um, and I don't know if it should, but it does. When it, when it's when it's uh, when the younger the patient is, the harder it is for me to be like, oh man, they really did not deserve this, you know. No. So I get shout out to shout out to you guys in L and D, who you know, who see it every day and are still pushing through and you know, and happy to yeah. hear that you're not taking it home too because that's that's rough. But yeah, no, you you can't you. You know, and I tell everybody, like, everybody should have therapy, like everybody, because life is hard. Life alone is hard. But especially if you have any trauma or you're a nurse, because you can't really talk to anyone else. So therapy is really important, you know, load it off, get it off, talk about it, let it go, you know, and then move on. And like I tell the trainees, you know, even on the worst day, you're that nurse, you're that difference, you know, and I've had same thing, patient families that have come back to me and been like, I remember you were there for so-and-so and and you just really made a big difference. Whereas 
I didn't feel that way because at the end of the day, that's not the outcome I wanted for them. But unfortunately, that's what I started with. That baby was not alive when I started the day. It wasn't like I could bring it back to life, but it doesn't make it any any less hard at the end of the day. So you sometimes feel like you didn't succeed when really you did. You still touched that life. You still made that difference. You still were there for them, educated them, and walked them through it. And sometimes that means all the difference in the world to those patients especially because they're not getting to hold a baby at the end and take them home and getting distracted by all the other things. They just remember that day and forever, basically. And I, you know, and I hear, I hear what you're saying about like trying to help your trainees, like just get a hold of this concept of like, Hey, like, you know, bad things happen. And you know, yeah. the best thing you can do is just be supportive. But, but you know, again, I've talked to some of your coworkers, uh, Stephanie specifically, who said that, you know, the way, you treat new nurses and the way you precept them is like nothing she's ever seen before. And she's been a nurse for 16 years. She said that uh, when she was new on the unit, you had actually <laughs> reached out to her on Facebook or social media just to yeah. get to know her before you actually met her in person. And, uh, and she was saying that this is the thing you do for a lot of these new nurses, these new nurses yeah. who come and work on your unit. And, uh, I, I, and I agree. I agree with that. I don't think that's normal, but I think it's I think it's incredible that you're taking the time out to, you know, greet them and get to know them before they even show up. So, I mean, what 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 brought that about? Like, why why did you feel why did you feel like that was so important um, for you to do for some of these new nurses? You start a new job somewhere and you don't know what to expect. You get there, you have questions. You, the first day of you're like, wait, where do I do this? Who do I talk for this? You know? Oh, um, I don't even know where to park. You know, those kind of things that sometimes they get told that before they come and sometimes they don't. And I started noticing the inconsistency and especially during COVID. Um, and so it was like, okay, let's see if they're on Facebook, you know, or if they text me with their phone number first, then I'll be like, you know, save my phone number with my name. You can text me anytime. If I'm sleeping, I'll answer it when I'm awake. But you always have me as a go-to because when you're starting new somewhere, there's so much that you don't know. And sometimes you don't know you don't know till it pops up and you need that person. Or you get home and you're like, did I do this right? You know, this nurse said this or whatever. Was that right? Like, I don't know. Or you have that day we were just talking about and you just need someone to talk to. I like knowing that everyone that works on our unit has somebody that they can go to. And I try to be that first person for them if I can, you know, and I'm a little, a little crazy. So not, maybe not everybody wants to always talk to me, but I know that they have someone they can go to regardless, you know? Yeah. And that's important when you start new because you're scared it's, and you don't want to ask. It's so, so if, no, it's, it's so important, right? Because like, like, again, like I remember st like anytime you start, a new job and any job, but like at a hospital specifically, mm -hmm. you're walking into a unit with a ton of people, right? Yeah. And you're looking for just some sort of like, just something to grasp onto just to be like, hey, yeah. can I just follow you and just, you know, can you just and be my person, introduce me to people, just show me where things are. Yeah. It's so important. Exactly. It's it's so important yes. because, you know, because like, like if without you, they're coming in there, they're, they're coming in and they're just kind of, 
they kind of have to figure it out. Just kind of ask the first person they see, you know, and it's 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 hard and it's scary as a new person yes. working at the hospital. So it's so important yes. to have you just just to just to message them, be like, hey, whatever you need, you know, yeah, this is my number, and just this come is my number. To work. Text me. Text me. Yeah. Yeah. It's so important. I love and again, that. Like nobody, nobody I know does that. I've worked, you know, in the ER for ten really? years. Nobody I know does oh. that. Do you know anybody else who does that? Well, some of the girls do now. They I do think. now. Maybe. Well, maybe. Like staff, I think staff does. Staff does. Maybe I don't know. I I don't. <laughs> I guess I just didn't really pay attention to that. But it's nice to start somewhere new, and you already feel like part of the family. Those you know, are- and there's that. That feeling of we're glad to have you here and I got your back. So welcome aboard. Now let's go work. <laughs> which is, you know, which is so important because I've been I, I've been traveling the country talking to a lot of these uh, healthcare workers who work in different hospitals around the country. And the turnover lately has been oh. crazy, right? Like I, I'm talking COVID. to these nurses and some of their most senior nurses are like two years in. And I'm just like, how... How did yeah. the unit get so bad? And I know for you guys too, specifically, I, I guess uh, the the there's been like a seven. I, I think I forgot. Like I think Stephanie told us um, turnover has been like at there's a rate of like seventy percent or something, something crazy for you guys too. I don't right? know the rate, but it's been a lot. Like the docs will come in and be like, "Oh, I'm so glad to see your face. I recognize you." Like, yeah, because the turnover is so much, you know, and even though we get that autonomy we talked about earlier, it's because we learn our dogs, but they're all very different in their approaches and their management of care. And so when we're constantly turning nurses like no one, I don't know that there's enough time for them to learn the docs well enough to establish that rapport. No. So that's I've, rough. Yeah, of course not. And like, you know, like you said, like the way you treat these new nurses, you would think that the way you treat them, you know, it sounds like you guys would have a very big, tight knit family oriented unit. But I guess that's not necessarily the case. We do. But a lot of people think that uh, labor and delivery is just butterfly and sunshine, you know, like rainbows and happy days. And A, it's not. Patients come in in labor and we're fully you know, everybody's busy. You can't turn them home or say, let's, let's wait on that. You know, you're going to have to bounce between all these laboring patients, which may not be a hundred percent safe, but what are you going to do? Tell that baby stop, tell that uterus to stop. You can't, you know, it is what it is. And so it can be a very high stress demanding job. I think that we probably have retained pretty well compared to many of the other units um, because of that that family that we have at our job and and I we support it very well we had a nurse that stepped up to be a manager and watching her take that initiative I always said I did not want to charge nurse it's not why I'm there I like patients I like the patient care that that bond and that experience we were talking about that's what I do for that experience with them um but I was doing a disservice not to and when I saw her do that then I said okay I will relief charge, a.k.a. as little as you possibly need me to charge, I will charge. But I prefer being there with my patients. And when you're charging, you don't get to. And you just have to tell everybody what to do. And I don't, I don't really like that either. I'm yeah. more of a doer, not a teller. So I'd rather just go do it. 
but when you're in charge, you can't do that. So um, her stepping up, I think, really cemented everybody to work a little harder. So I have to give her the kudos on that one. Yeah. Mallory was amazing to do that. What's her name? Mallory Hansen. Mallory Hansen. Yeah. Shout out to Mallory Hansen. Yeah, she's our she's our manager, and yeah, she stepped up and took it. And when people try to complain, and I'm like, if you're not wanting to do that job, then you probably shouldn't complain about it because it's really hard to make everybody happy when you're like leadership like that. Yeah, but we you try, you just can't you can't make everybody happy. There's no way. You're exactly right, though. It takes it takes a few years. It takes some comfortability. You know, it takes some experience in the unit. For you to be comfortable enough to become a manager and for everyone around you to be comfortable enough to you know to respect you as a manager but yeah again i'm telling you like these days talking to people healthcare workers it's just not the case people just aren't staying and i guess no. i wanted to get your perspective on it because you said other you, you think you've retained more workers than some of these other units like what do you think's happening with um, just nursing in general COVID. We lost so much staff in COVID. You know, I mean, everywhere did healthcare, everywhere lost staff during those times. You know, whether they were laying off or production was down or sickness, whatever. You know, I feel like we lost a lot of people that they didn't want to get sick. They were trying to get pregnant. They had littles at home, had elderly at home. And then we had a a couple um, that were nearing retirement. And it was like, that was just the, that was the last straw, you know, like we're out. And some of those nurses had been nurses for decades. So you didn't just lose like a body, you lost decades of experience. And what we're seeing now is we're replenishing them with more of the new grads. But never before did I see us hire new grads that didn't like precept in our area and know what they were getting into. Right now, we're so short that you get to come in as a new grad, you know, and that's I it's across all the nursing fields, you know, before you had to work your way to those high acuity areas, not anymore. We need the bodies. Like, yeah, it's rough to have that many new people or that many travelers, but we need ample bodies. So there's the yin and the yang. You can't even that out. So then you get those nurses that they wanted in there so bad, but they're still new. They didn't know what they were getting into and that stress and that, high acuity and you know I don't take it for granted my trainees many times like we have a day and I'm just like okay just go go get some soda pee take a minute before we get our next patient because literally we just watched like life or death and it could have went either way and luckily the outcome was good but that one still hits you just as hard because they know like it could have went the other way and not everybody that thinks they want to do it when they find out that that's all entwined to it really wants to stick with it like yeah. on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. But you, but so you we think, lose but a you, lot of those newer. But you think for sure if these, if these newer nurses kind of started in a, in a place where the acuity wasn't as high and kind of worked their way there, it, they more likely than not, you know, with the experience, they wouldn't be burnt out so fast and so traumatized so Correct. fast that they, that they would probably stay. Correct. Yeah, As opposed and to we've had like... some nurses over over the years that like start and we're like, we, they should start where you go after you have the baby, where it's a little less acuity first. 
And many of them like to stay there. Like they just stay there. And then many of them will then level up to us. And we encourage like cross training between our units so that, you know, someone gets tired or burnt out of one, they can come over to our other unit. But I think jumping straight out of nursing school into this realm is rough. Yeah. And, you know, and I've heard someone else say that before. I've heard someone else say that before too, that, uh, I guess she, she was, she was venting to me, but she was, uh, one of my more, uh, senior nurses talking about these new, new grad nurses who I think she, she thinks that they come out of school thinking they already know everything with, uh, you know, with social media and technology and YouTube and they learn everything online and, you know, they have a lot more access to information these days where they think like, oh, like I've right. seen it, I've read about it, I could do it. But it's, it's, but I don't think what they don't understand is that it's so different when it's right in front of you mm -hmm. in real life, you know? Yeah. And it's really yeah. hard to learn. You can't train for that until you're really in it. There is no way to prepare you for real life nursing until you're a real life nurse. So like when we have students, yeah. I try to tell my patients, you know, we get them in there, but it's like, I explain to them, we all start from somewhere and the better that I can train them right now, the when we see them on the other side and they might be mine or your nurse, they're going to be better. So I appreciate you letting so-and-so, you know, be a part of today with us and start your IV or whatever it is, because it's, it's, you can't stem it. You cannot stem lab real life nursing at all. The high turnover rate and, you know, what's happening with the nursing landscape these days, I guess it's two reasons, COVID kind of pushing out all the more senior nurses who are like, fuck this, I'm out. This is too much. I can't, this is not the way I want to work anymore. And yeah. the second reason is some of these, because of we're losing so many nurses, some of these new nurses who are being just completely thrown into the deep end without the proper training are, are just, are, are, are getting burnt out too fast, too soon. And ultimately yeah. also leave the bedside to go do, you know, something else. Something different. Yeah, especially with the shortage, like nursing shortage everywhere, like all bedside nursing, there's just shortage. So that burnout is just getting escalated by that shortage. Ah, yes, because you know? now you're coming to work, you know, you're still fairly new. And even if you want to stay, like you're not getting, the, you're not, you don't have the resources to help you. So you go home every day well, just dreading coming to work the next day. Yep. And I've had people tell me that, you know, that I've trained literally one of the new nurses that was a new grad that I had as a preceptor too. And I told her, I said, you know, then ask to do a different unit because yes, right now we, at that current time, I'm like, we don't have the support that you need. And I went with her to HR to get her moved over. And I'm like, you can always come back to us later, but I don't want you to leave us because you don't feel supported in the way that I know we can't provide at that time. Um, and then lose you completely. I'd rather you go work in a slower unit with more, uh, support and you feel more confident in your nursing judgment and care and then come back to us in this high acuity and this high stress and this flip-flop of can go really bad or go really good depending on what you do as the nurse um and she's still with us not on our unit but she's still there and i'm so happy to just have her there because she's an asset she didn't have to be on our unit to be an asset she could be in our hospital and she's still an asset She's super smart and she's really good at what she does. So compassionate, patients love her. And I think it would have been 
a real shame to completely lose her. But of course, I think administration would have just been like, well, you know, it is what it is. And instead I was like, no, let's just get her to one of our other units and keep her. And then maybe later we can have her back. And so we did. And I'm happy every time I see her. Every time I see her. But that's what she would say. She. But, you know, that's what makes you a great mentor. You know, you, you were able to see that, like, she, she still had potential. This is just, you know, it just, it just, it's just the reality is it just takes a long time to be a good nurse in mm -hmm. the high acuity, high acuity unit, right? Yes. And, uh, yes. you know, it's so, so great for you to understand that and, like, you know, send her off to be like, hey, like, you're not, this is, it's just not, it's, you're not doing anything wrong, right? It's just not Correct. your time right now. You need more training. And just yep. come back to us when you're I ready. I started the and same I think way. That's, I think that's so great. And I think that's like so, yeah, it's incredible for like, you know, for, for someone like you as a mentor to to see that and to to guide her to be exactly where she needs to be. Right. Because otherwise we're going to lose her completely. Yeah. And the other thing too is if you're coming to work and like you're dreading being there and like you don't feel like you're being supported, you know, that that leaks out emotionally to everything you do and to everyone, right? Your coworkers, your coworkers are gonna feel mm -hmm. it, your patients are gonna feel it, you know, you're gonna have a bad reputation. It's it's not good. It's the worst, you know? And no. it just brings the energy of the whole unit to to this place yes. where it's just not a great place to work. And I always say that, even when we have bad days, I'm like, just okay, vent it and then Let's move on because it's contagious. Like we'll all start feeding yes. into that. And then we're we're all gonna be, you know, super grumpy. Like at the end of it, we're all alive and breathing. It's a good day. We had babies, we've created life. Like, let's move along. Like, keep going. Again, you're great for recognizing all that. And you know, I would I, I feel like you you would be such a great person to work with if I was still working with hospital. But um you know, we, we talked a lot about you and your nurse and, you know, you as a nurse, but like, I, I kind of want to understand, understand you as a, as a person outside of this and like your journey to becoming a nurse. You, you've gone through a lot, you right? Um, and I don't, I don't know if you care to talk about this, but your, your coworkers, again, uh, I think Stephanie and Amanda told me a lot about you and you've had some many challenges in your life to get to where you are. Can you, yeah. can you just t uh, speak on that journey? I think in my 20s, I would kind of hide some of uh, some of my traumas in my life. But honestly, they make you who you are. So I don't think you should dwell on them because they aren't who you are. They help make you who you are. So I think it took to my 30s, though, to quit hiding those things and just acknowledging them. Like they are a part of who has made me who I am now. And let's be thankful that, you know, I had a good life and that things are great now. And so, you know, unfortunately, um, I grew up really poor and the girls will make fun of me because I can like leave food out. And then I come back, they're like, don't eat that. I'm like, I'm not wasting this and I'll eat it. I I'm make the same way. good enough money, but I am not wasting that food. And the girls just, they're like, uh, you know, one of the old church nurses would be like, somebody tell me if this is good, except for cat, anybody but cat. And I'm like, <laughs> Like I said, I do have like a little reputation, a little crazy, but, um, you know, and unfortunately I was victimized by rape and assault at times in my life. And, and I think that that component that I used to hide actually makes me a very good go-to for our patients because many of our patients, um, unfortunately have experienced that at some point in their life. 
at, I don't know statistics, but it is a, a big statistic of both, way more than we think. And so it allows me to relate to patients, you know, if I need to, you know, if there comes a time, sometimes some of the nurses will come and be like, hey, there's a patient da, 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 da. with this history going on. Can you go talk to her? Okay. Then I will pull that out. Otherwise, you know, it is part of what made me who I am, but it's not who I am. And so mm -hmm. if it can benefit someone else, then we can talk about it. And if not, I just got to remember it's part of what made me as resilient as I am. I uh, had my daughter at 19 and she, uh, she's such a adorable, adorable daughter, but her nurse was awful. Awful. I was so scared. And when I'm scared, I joke. And so when it was time to push, I was like, you know what? Um, I changed my mind. I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. And that old witch told me, you shouldn't spread your legs then. And that was my labor experience. Fast oh, forward two years for my son. My, my son, Christian. Yeah. True. True, true story. Like, couldn't you, believe it myself. You were, you were um, scared. I'm sorry. You were a scared 19 year old. Yeah. You, you had yeah. cold feet. You, yeah, and you know, you said uh, naturally, 19 joking. year old, jokingly. We're joking. Said, "Hey, I don't want to do this anymore." Joking, but with a slight, you know, truth because you're 19 and you're scared, which is understandable, right? Right. Yeah. But to have the person who you're supposed to be trusting in uh -huh. this taking care of you in this in what. In, to take care of you, what could possibly be the most scariest experience of your life thus far? Uh-huh. Just to yeah. tell you to to insult you, tell you, well, you shouldn't have spread your legs then. That is yeah. crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And then I had my son two years later, and I had this amazing nurse that was so supportive and um, just so informative, made me feel just so great. And I didn't have half the postpartum depression like with him that I did with my daughter. And I think it was the nurse difference, but beyond that, the experience. And so I had always wanted to be a nurse, but at that point, that's when I knew, okay, when I, when I get there, this is what I'm going to be. But I had to raise my kids. And um, like I said, I was 19 and on my own, my dad had passed when I was 18 and I never knew my mom. So when I say alone, I'm not alone. And so I had to wait till my kids got much older to become a nurse. And sure as can be. I did many jobs in that time, which probably makes me a little bit more gracious about our stresses and the BS that we all deal with in nursing. Because it, it's in other lines of work, too. Like, you could trade this in, but it's somewhere else, too. And um, I got to finally become a nurse when my kids were, like, 13 and 14. And... Um, you know, they watched me work really hard for it and work full time and study and become it. And I started in couplet care where I had that other nurse go work at. Um, and then after a year, we got transferred out. And the only thing open was labor and delivery. And I knew I wanted mom and baby, mm. but I wasn't sure I was ready yet for that extreme, like that high acuity. But I got hired and I can't imagine doing anything else. Like, I love that experience with the patients and being there for the baby and the birth and guiding them through it and just making them comfortable during that experience and getting rid of the nurses like the first one I had like she I have to tell her thank you she's the reason that I am 
as good as I am. Let's put it that yeah. way. I, I think or blame her. <laughs> yeah, good for you to turning, you know, the the shittiest parts of your life around and ultimately helping everybody else around you. I mean, that's just, that's incredible. Well, I try. I may drive my coworkers crazy at times too. So, you know, there's that. You know, there's the yin and the yang. You get the good and the bad. Like, okay, let's go, let's go. Uh, you know, that, and they're I, like, are you serious? I don't think that's true <laughs> at all. From what, from what I've heard about you, they adore you and fucking love well, you. Tap. I adore every one of them, even when they scare the shit out of me all the time and pull their prank. They showed but, me some of the, they showed know, me some of the, they showed me some of the videos of them scaring <laughs> you. It's pretty hilarious. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> like it, it takes commitment to crawl around on our floors to scare someone. They will literally <laughs> some days do that. I am not looking for people on the floor <laughs> who would crawl on our floor. Nope. Leave it up to them. But you got to enjoy, you got to enjoy your work. Like it's hard work. If you can get a little smile or a laugh here and there, man, the amount of tension that that releases is a hundred percent worth it. Like yeah, who you I work agree. with makes a difference. Who you work with makes a difference. Yeah, Every who you work with makes a difference. Who you work with makes a difference. Mm -hmm. Being able to laugh at the situations, no matter like how crazy or how dark they can get is, you know, it's yeah. important. And I think it's important for people to understand that. I, and it was one of the reasons why I started yeah. making those crazy TikTok videos, which, you know, some some were some were just for fun, but some got a lot of backlash. And I and uh I haven't I haven't exactly addressed it yet, but like I it uh, hopefully soon I'll address it and it during one of my performances that like, you know, like we we're stressed out all the time. And like sometimes yeah. you just need yeah. to be able to, to laugh or giggle to 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 I don't know. I don't know how to say it, but just like deflate all that stress out of you. Yeah, that's the best way Release. to say it. Release. Yeah, you know? it's like yeah, yeah. laughing is such good medicine. So, you know, if you can take the shit show and find a way to laugh out of it, that is going to reduce how much tension, stress and craziness that you're just carrying around, like balled up. Yeah. You got to be able to joke about it. Because ultimately you're going in the next day to do it all again. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, to, to be able to keep going like you, to be able to keep doing it for nine years, like you can't take it all too seriously. No. Right. Mm -hmm. It'll kill you. No. It you got to find a little bit of fun here and there. It's not at a patient cost. You know, this is some of their scariest times and places. So they're they're going to say some crazy things. You're not laughing at them. You're laughing with them. You know, finding humor in a situation that's otherwise stressful doesn't make you a bad person. Yeah. Because I think you know, you're we, with them through it all. Yeah. You're, you're with them. Ultimately, you're the one who's going to do everything you can to save them, take care of them. Uh -huh. And, uh, you know, you've been in these situations so many times, like, you know, 10 years, I've worked 10 years, you've worked nine years. You, you've, yeah. you've been in these situations so many times. So like when something different happens, you're like, oh, that's, you know, that's interesting. That's, that's I'll different. Laugh at that. That's aha. I'll talk about that, you know? Yeah. Just to keep yeah. your life interesting I too. I love your one where the, uh, they think the urethra and the vagina are the same. That. We get that a lot. <laughs> Get that a lot, a lot. Oh yeah, that I'm is sure, not an uncommon thing in our generic. I'm sure. I'm area. sure. I'm, I'm sure you get so many. So, what, what, what area are you in again? I'm sorry. You're in uh, uh, Phoenix, labor Arizona? and delivery. No, no, oh, I'm sorry. Tucson. Uh, Tucson, Tucson, labor and delivery, yeah. Tucson. Um, 
Yeah. But yeah, like like you know, like I have a I have a bunch of ER stories of patients who just don't really understand their anatomy or how things work. Um, but I'm sure for you too, like do you do you do you remember do you have any specific ER stories that are related to because um, I I think I literally thought I had a patient think that she had a second baby that was left inside after she delivered. Um it was gas. But you know how, especially a thin patient, the gas will move. Uh, and yeah. so the gas was moving because uh, your body builds up a lot of gas during the labor process. And so, yeah, she thought she thought we had left a baby behind. And the dad came running out of the room. It's like, there's still, there's another one still in there. And we're like, what? And he's like, there's another baby. And we're just like, uh, okay. And so we go in there and I'm like, no, honey, that that's gas. You Let's go to the oh. bathroom. So she was, they were she probably felt much freaking better she, out. Yeah. Oh no, he did. And they were younger. And this is back when I was stationed in uh, Arkansas. But yeah, he came running to that nurse's station. He was so panicked. Could you imagine? He's thinking he's going home with another baby. Wow. Poor kid. Yeah. Um, I've had patients tell me that they check their own cervix. And when I do it, it's more uncomfortable. And I'm like, um, okay. That. Um, the cervix, most are, and especially that time, it was like the cervix was really far in there. So I'm not really sure what she was checking. And I was just like, well, what about when your doctor checks it? And she's like, yeah, it hurts like when you do it. And I'm like, okay, let's not do that. Luckily, we had a baby that day and that took that off the table anymore. But it was just like, wow. Okay. Wow. Yeah, we get all the stories, you know. Yeah. Kat, I mean, this, this, this conversation has been amazing. I mean, I have learned Thank you. so much from you and I just I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for you know um educating me and being here and for being the badass motherfucker that you are right you were nominated by your coworkers. um you know they said so Who many great also... things who are also badass motherfuckers but they've said so many yes. great things about you and I just I really want you to know that like you know they love you everyone loves working with you and you're an incredible person in the L&D unit you are an asset um I started this podcast and this award to find people exactly like you but before we end um there's uh i like to ask a few uh ending questions i ask everybody this and um the first one is um what's the most important lesson you've learned uh as a nurse over your career perception your day is going to depend on how you perceive it like if you come in with a shitty attitude you're gonna have a shitty day if you come in and you're tired you're gonna be sluggish all day like Come in with just the mentality like, let's do this. Let's make a change. Like, let's make this the day, you know. And I have to reframe my brain many times too. Like, I come in and I'm tired or something, and I'm like, this end right. Got it. I gotta, I gotta fix it up. Like, this is their only chance to have this baby. Like, it's a very special occasion. I need to act as such. So, gotta step back out, put myself back up, and get back in there. So I think just how you perceive is going to change how your day goes. Yeah, love that. I mean, that's not even not even for when you come into work, right? Just kind of when you wake up and go about your day too. Yeah. So that's but great. But it's easier with work. Like it's easier to really mess up your day with a bad attitude at work. At home, you're just like, oh, okay, I have to clean the kitchens again, <laughs> you know? And yeah. You can get away with it. If you have that, like you said earlier, if you have that bad attitude at work, you're going to mess up everything. It's contagious. It's going to feed onto the others. Don't do it. Don't do it to your cohorts. Yeah. Get in the game. Get in the right mindset. It's good. Um, the second question is, uh, do you have any 
I mean, we, we talked about so many patient interactions that you've had already, but is there any, any other patient interactions that, uh, that, that you believe are either the most impactful for you have been most impactful for you in your career or just a funny patient interaction that you could share without possibly violating HIPAA? Yeah, I, and I share this one with my trainees a lot. You know, I tried to import experiences with them because a lot of the experience change how I nurse and my care and because we all do everything completely different, but with the same end result. Um, but this one patient, like from the get-go, I don't want my IV here. I don't want this. You know, we're not going to do this. We don't. And I'm just like, I, I literally just want to start your IV. Like, I just want to get an IV in, you know. And it almost took like an hour just to get an IV in. And throughout the day, I remember coming to the nurse's station and being like, guys, she's just not clicking with me. Like, I don't think that this patient really likes me. I don't think that we're bonding, you know, and they're like, sorry. I mean, you can't do anything about it, but that was just me venting. And the day went on and there was other things that I can't really remember, but throughout the day, I just felt like she wasn't really necessarily happy with things. And we don't have a whole lot of control. It's up to the uterus, the cervix and the baby, how your day goes. I mean, other than that, we're just gauging for a happy and healthy baby and mom, but you know, you get your epidural, you can't get up. And there was just like flack on a lot of things. And I was certain when we delivered, she was so happy we were done. A week later, she brought me a gift box with one of the sweetest cards that I've ever had in my entire life. Made me a cup that I still have that I won't let anybody use because she like kind of handmade it and I don't want it to get demolished because it's my reminder every time that I think like, that I'm not bonding or that I'm not making a difference, maybe I really am. And I just don't know it. Like, I just want to be able to swoon her the same way that I can, you know, get other patients to relax. But obviously, I did still make the difference. So no matter what you think, keep putting your all in it because just like her, maybe you are really doing a really great job and you just don't know that that's how that patient feels. So, yeah. Yeah, because, you know, patients, I mean, they're patients for a reason, right? They're at the hospital because, yeah. you know, they're they're not exactly you gotta feeling do the stuff. best. They got to do stuff, yeah. right? They're not exactly feeling the best. They're stressed. Like you meet, you meet somebody, you meet a patient and they're one way with you at the hospital. You meet them outside for a drink at yeah. a bar. They're probably two completely different people, you know? Probably. So you never know what's going probably. through the head in the moment. Yeah. When I moved recently, because she, she found me on Facebook. When I moved recently, and it's been years, uh, probably half a decade, and I came across the cup, and because I keep it up on a top shelf where nobody can use it, and I went to pack it, but I took a picture and I sent it to her messenger, and I was like, I just want you to know that I know I thanked you, but I don't know that I told you just how important it was that you let me know that, because honestly, the reward in the patient care is knowing that we matter you know that all this stress and the hard work actually matters and when you get stuff like that you know it and i told her thank you for giving me that i still have it and i won't let anyone use it and i just kind of imparted back onto her what i said to you and was like i just wanted you to know how important that little gift was that you gave me thank you what it reminds me and grounds me back to when i get lost in the stress of things yeah and, and you know like that's exactly it. Like, you know, people, people like you, and I think a lot of like great nurses and healthcare workers out there just, 
we, we don't get enough recognition for the crazy miracles that we pull off, you know? So when like a little something like that happens, you're just like, oh my God, like just, just a cup. But it just changes your entire like, you know, mm -hmm. perspective on your job and what you do. So yeah, we, I mean, we, we, we need more ways to recognize healthcare workers like yourself. And hopefully this podcast does it. But that's, that was such a wonderful answer. Thank you. And, and the last question is, um, I have a series online called Tips from the ER. Uh, gives and, give you know, oh. tips for patients coming to coming into the ER. So I wanted to ask you, uh, can you give us a tip from the delivery room? What can patients expect when they come in, and what do you what do you wish they would understand about your job? All right. So what to expect? You have to have an IV. We need emergency availability to take care of you. You need have an, to IV. Have an IV. Absolutely. No way around it. You got to have an IV. Um, if your water breaks. I need you to come in ASAP. Like, we need to make sure baby's doing okay, all looks well. And it's really rough when patients are like, well, sometime, you know, yesterday it ruptured. Last night, oh, well, I started leaking a couple of days ago. And you're just like, I don't know how long this patient's even been ruptured. Because the longer they're ruptured, the greater the risk of infection. And so we do keep an eye on that timeline. Now, otherwise, if it's your first labor, try to, you know, work it out, get through that early labor stage. But if you rupture, come right in. Let us check you out. You know, if it's not the real deal and all looks well, we're going to send you back home. But we'll check and make sure. And um, then just pretty much when you come in, if you don't want an epidural, that's fine. It, the thing I wish people would know is... If you don't want an epidural, we 100% support that. One thing I think a lot of people don't know, in an emergency, if a patient doesn't have an epidural and we have to go back for a stat C-section, which this is not that often, but I just want it to be knowledge for people, um, then we have to put the patient under general because we have to hurry and get the baby out. We don't have time to put a spinal in at that time. In that occurrence, the dad cannot come in the room because the patient's asleep. So it changes the whole labor experience. So, you know... I support everybody that does not want an epidural and goes naturally. I just want them to be informed to know that in an emergency, then the dad would not be in the room and the patient would go under general. So, because I think that does change some people's uh, thought process when they're coming for their first baby and on the fence whether to get an epidural or not. It does have that offset emergency benefit. But once again, that's a very rare occurrence. It's just something that people don't, normally no you wouldn't know that unless you had an emergency so it's just mm -hmm. a little food for thought yeah so 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 from what you're saying the patients don't want the epidural you're 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 advising that maybe the epidural is a better idea because the worst case scenario is you're gonna have to get anesthesia anyways no it's not a better idea it's just i want everybody informed if you, you don't have more. an epidural and you have an emergency, dad will not be in the room and you will go under general. Yeah. That's gotcha. it. Like, there is no better or wrong way. I just like people to be informed. Because unless you've been in an emergency, you would never know that that little tidbit fact. Mm. So, and then, yeah, if you're asleep, there's no, no need for the dad to be in there. Granted, the babies come out immediately and they get to be with the babies pretty much right then, so... It's not a, you should definitely do it. It's just something that we should all be aware of. Something we should all be aware of. Well, again, Kat, 
Thank you so much for taking uh, time out of your day Thank off you. to be here with me. I know how precious these uh, days off are for you guys. So really appreciate it. I hope you had a good time. And uh, thank you again so much. I did. Thank you. Thank you. And a shout out to my whole team. I work with a whole group. They are there great. You. There's no I in team. We all work together, come together. You can't have a baby with several without several of us. We need all of us. There you go. Shout out to the team. Thank you. Okay. Thanks for listening to the Badass Motherfucker Podcast. If you have a coworker who you believe is a badass motherfucker, head over to badassmotherfucker.com to nominate them. My goal is to highlight and share more stories of healthcare workers doing exceptional work in their community who deserve a little bit more recognition. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please give us a like, leave a review, and share it with your friends. Hell, slide into my DMs and tell me yourself. I can't wait to bring more stories your way. But until then, Keep being the badass motherfucker that you are.